As we come to God's Word, I'd ask you just to, let's just come before the Lord, let's just ask for His blessing and for His words to speak to our hearts and for Him to give us soft hearts. So let's pray together. Lord, our Heavenly Father, as we open Your unchangeable Word, Lord, help us to subject ourselves to it. And help us to listen to whatever the Holy Spirit tells us today, so that you would change us. Lord, we know we are far from perfect. We know that you are making us to be like your Son. And so, Lord, we ask, give us soft hearts this morning, so that you will be glorified. Amen. We're carrying on in our studies in the book of Luke, and... I'd ask you to turn to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6 verses 1 to 11, Luke chapter 6 and the first 11 verses and then we're going to be turning to Mark, the parallel passage in Mark chapter 2, so if you want to look ahead, get your finger in Mark chapter 2, we'll be turning there straight after. Luke chapter 6 verse 1. Now it happened that he, that is Jesus, was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath. And his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating the grain. There's our favorite characters again. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry, and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone? And he gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath, so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said said to him, that is the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together, what they might do to Jesus. Quite a dramatic passage. Now turn with me, if you would, to uh, the book of Mark, chapter 2. This is the second camera on the same scene. All right, if you want to think in today's terms. Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 to chapter 3, verse 6. There are a few details that you will read here that were not stated. And that doesn't mean to say that Luke was wrong. He just didn't state these details. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. And it happened that he, that is Jesus, was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. 
and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And he entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And looking around at them with anger, Grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against Jesus as to how they might destroy him. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the misfortune of trying to kill ants. And the secret of trying to kill ants is to squish them one at a time, isn't it? Not? You'll never do it, will you? You see, when you want to kill ants, it's hopeless trying to kill them one by one. You need to get to the heart of the problem. You need to get to that queen chamber. And that is why we give those friendly little ants a bit of ant bait. Because the friendly little ants, very helpful little ants, take it all the way back into the nest and give it to the queen, and that spreads around the system, and then the ant nest is killed. The text before us, Luke chapter 6, verse 1 to 11, we find Jesus getting to the heart of the Judaistic system of the day. That system of self-righteous keeping of rules to make themselves right with God that these scribes and the Pharisees had built up over the years. In the previous chapter, chapter 5, and going right back to the beginning of the book of Luke, the Pharisees had been confronting Jesus constantly on Jesus breaking their religious rules. And they brought to him various rules, the rules on fasting. They brought up to Jesus the rules about who to associate with and who he shouldn't associate with how to do religion their way. But this passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus gets to the heart of this conflict by questioning their rules about the Sabbath. Their man-made routines for every seventh day, every ceremonial Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown on Saturday. Very different to our Sunday, by the way, and I'll get to that next week first day of the week. This Sabbath was the touchstone or the queen cell from which the rules surrounding Sabbath observance spread out and then into the rest of Judaism. So it spread out from these rules surrounding 
the Sabbath. You see, what the Pharisees had done was they'd taken a law of God and they'd started adding their own. Adding their own all the time. And they'd even taken these laws and pushed them further than what they were meant to be. They'd lost the heart of the law. They'd put their own spin on it. And Jesus, you see, was concerned about the truth. Jesus wasn't concerned about religion. Jesus wanted everyone to know, everyone he met, to choose between true worship of God through faith and obedience, and he wanted them to choose between truth and false worship of God through trying to please God man's way, through rule-keeping. Jesus didn't attempt to find a happy middle ground with the Pharisees, like so, so many ask us to do today when it comes to the claims of the gospel and other religions. Jesus came in and said, this is the truth, this alone is the truth, everything else is a lie. Make your choice. Choose the gospel of Jesus Christ. Choose the gospel of humility, the gospel of repentance, the gospel of grace and faith, not man's spiritual pride, not self-righteousness and not merit and works. There's a clear distinction. See, it's exactly what Judaism was and it's what every other religion in the world is except the truth of Christianity. Jesus was constantly drawing a big fat line and saying, choose, choose this or that. This is truth, that's a lie. There's no middle ground. And the Jews, very rightly, you see, had taken the Sabbath very seriously. They were right to do so. Back in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and you might want to start heading there, we're going to be reading the passage. Exodus chapter 20, God had instituted the Sabbath law based on his own resting after the six days of creation. Remember that? God had created everything in the universe, the world, everything on it, and on the seventh day, he rested. And then he gave man the day of rest. The word Sabbath means to rest or to cease. That's all it is. And God said to them, and turn with me if you would now to Exodus chapter 20, way back in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. This is the law given to the people. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner or the traveler who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That was the law. Did God add anything there? Do we see any other details on how to keep the Sabbath? That's it. No further descriptions or rules. But the religious leaders had added to these. You see, Sabbath was a gift from God to man, a day of rest from labor, in which to specifically give glory to God by the setting apart of that day, the keeping it holy. 
And don't worry if you think I'm heading this way. I'm not telling you now that you need to start wearing black and stay indoors and listen to classical music on Sundays, as I had to as a child. Don't laugh. But you see, that's exactly what the Judaistic rules were saying. Not the classical music, by the way. The rules. The Talmud, the Judaic rule book, said that people had to take these original commandments and add the rules. Add the interpretation of those rules and then add the reinterpretation of the interpretations. And in the end, the Talmud ended up with 24 chapters of rules on how to keep the Sabbath. 24 chapters, I ask you. You don't believe me? Okay, I'll give you a few examples. Here they go. There are many, 24 chapters. I'm not going to go through them. I'm going to look at a few. You, you were to travel no more than 3,000 feet. So that's 914 point something meters, all right? Make it one kilometer for you and I. You have to travel no more than one kilometer from home on the Sabbath because if you did, you would be working. Unless, and here's one of the interpretations of the interpretations, unless you planted some food before the Sabbath, by the way, you planted some food at the one kilometer mark, then you could go there and you'd be home again. Have food, and then you could travel another kilometer. You get it? Here's another one. You were not allowed to lift all kinds of things. Now, see how ridiculous this gets. You were not allowed to lift some things, but you could lift other things. You could not lift some things from a wide place, but you could lift them from a narrow place. You could lift some things and put them into a public place, but not into a private place. You'd say, what? Exactly. And you see, the rabbis got caught up with these endless discussions, reinterpreting interpreted rules. I'll give you a few more, just because I find them quite humorous. You were to carry nothing heavier than a dried fig. Now, gentlemen, if you've got a wallet here, I bet you that credit card weighs more than that dried fig. So you wouldn't be allowed to carry your wallet today. And ladies, I'm not even going there. (laughs) Cell phone, you teens, you weren't allowed to carry your cell phones on this day. It weighs more than a dried fig. But, interpretation, you could carry half a fig twice on a Sabbath. There you go. You see how ridiculous it's getting? Now, here's the sad part of it. Here's the sad part. Listen, see the sadness behind this. You see, what the Pharisees are saying is, people, remember, your salvation depends on these things. You're pleasing God if you keep these rules. And then they went on with more rules. I'll give you a few more. A tailor couldn't carry his needle stuck into his jacket or whatever his cloak because then he might be tempted to see something that he's doing, fix it, and then he'd be working. You weren't allowed to light a fire or put out a fire because that would be working on the Sabbath. And so they had to prepare their food before the Sabbath. Cold meats was in, just not pork. They weren't allowed to move a chair on the Sabbath. Why? Because you might drag it through the dust and that would be ploughing. And that's work. 
I'm serious. I'm not joking. This is from the Talmud. Now, I love this one, and please, ladies, be gracious. A woman was not allowed to look in the mirror on the Sabbath because she might notice a white hair and then be tempted to pull it out, and that would be work. You see how ridiculous it is? And by the time of Jesus, these Pharisees and scribes had accumulated so many rules for themselves about what they should do, shouldn't do, could do, couldn't do on the Sabbath day, It had turned the Sabbath into the worst day of the week. It was now a day which was repressive and ridiculously strict. And so when the Sabbath was coming along, the people would think, oh man, you've got to have all these rules again. Now we can get to our text, you see. You've got the background to why the Pharisees react like they do. Have a look at it, verses 1 to 5 in your text. You see, when these, these disciples are seen eating the grain on the Sabbath, the Pharisees are upset. And the first time I read this, I thought, why would they be upset at someone picking grain? Because it was allowed in Scripture. You see, God's law is a merciful law. And it allowed travelers, because there weren't McDonald's and all those takeaway places then, all right, where travelers could stop and get refreshment. They could, as they were walking through a grain field and as they were going through a wheat field, they could as they were walking, pick grain and kind of eat it raw and just kind of chew on it like chewing gum and so satisfy their hunger pangs until they got to a place with food. You see, Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 25, and I'll put it up there for you, talks about this law. It was allowed. It was allowed. But the disciples weren't just eating the, the grain. You see, what they were doing, according to the Pharisees, and this was a normal procedure, they were taking this grain as they picked it and were rubbing it to get the husk off. And that was work. Jesus, they working on the Sabbath. You see why they were upset? And so Jesus confronts their attitude. And he gets as close to sarcasm as he can without sinning. I don't know how he does that. I can't do that. But he could. He's the son of man. And he says to them, verses 3 and 4, have you not even read that when Dave, what David did when he was hungry? And then he tells them what David did. And I can see these Pharisees. What do you mean? Of course we've read that, Jesus. We're the teachers of the law. We've read that passage. We know how David is on the run from Saul. We know how he stopped when he came to this temple. His men were hungry. They were half famished. And he stopped and he asked the priest at knob for a bread. Can I have a knob of bread? No, he didn't say that. And you know, this bread was the show bread. It was the 12 loaves representing the, the nation of Israel, which were kept on display before the Lord all the time. And when that bread got stale, it was replaced with new fresh bread. And the old staler bread was given to the priests and they were allowed to eat it. They knew about the show bread. But what was the lesson Jesus was trying to teach them here? You see, what the Pharisees had forgotten was that right in that example, there was an example of compassion and mercy, which was at the heart of the law. If someone was in need, then these priests were to give them that food to eat. Yes, the law said it was for the priests, but if there was need, they were to show mercy first and give that bread so that people could eat. You see, the law was more than just ceremony and cold-hearted keeping of it. 
Jesus' disciples were hungry. And so Jesus allowed them to eat. So what was he saying to the Pharisees? He was saying to the Pharisees, You Pharisees, you have filled the Sabbath, the supposed day of rest, with so many rules that it's become a burden for the people. In Mark chapter 2, he says these words, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And then back in Luke, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, he was saying to the Pharisees, God gave you the Sabbath. And I, and I as God, I'm reclaiming it from you, scribes and Pharisees. I as God, I set the standards, not you. Don't miss this now. By saying I reclaim the Sabbath, I am Lord of the Sabbath, he is saying, I am God. And they couldn't take that one. And then Jesus carries on. He says, I am the correct interpreter of God's law because I am God, not you. I am reclaiming Sabbath or rest. Not this Sabbath, by the way. I am reclaiming Sabbath and making it again a day of rest. No more rules and meaningless tradition. No more self-righteous acts to try and please God. The Sabbath was meant for people to get together to contemplate the wonders of God's glory and to worship Him. The Sabbath was given for, for mankind to find their rest in the Son of Man. In His message of forgiveness, in His offer of unmerited grace, in His offer of spiritual rest, I am Lord of the Sabbath, says Jesus. And look, we're not told how they reacted. I'd love to have been there to see their faces. But the story doesn't stop there, and that's why we're carrying on. You see, there was a part two to happen. The Pharisees kept their reaction for a little later. They, they planned a bit ahead. You see, Jesus, in his all-knowingness, and remember, he can see their hearts. He ramps up his exposure of the, of the Pharisees now. He says, you want to do this? I will take it all the way to you now. He wants to show up their religious bankruptcy. And how does he do so? By now going and deliberately healing a man on the Sabbath in the synagogue, right in the hornet's nest. So how does it happen? Let's have a look. Verses 6 to 11. You see, Jesus will never leave a spiritual problem or a challenge unresolved in people's lives. He will always force people to choose between right and wrong. And it's the same in our lives. If, if there's a problem in your life, there's something that needs to be addressed, Jesus will never leave it alone in you and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. He will always force you to choose between right and wrong. And He will carry on working in you until that is resolved. In this next confrontation, he publicly exposes the Pharisees right in front of the people, right on their own turf, where they thought they held all the advantage, you see. And he shows up their hypocritical attitudes. How does he do that? Verse 6. Verse 6 says, On another Sabbath, doesn't matter which Sabbath it was, but it would have been fairly close. On another Sabbath, Jesus was in the synagogue as he regularly went and he was teaching. And in the crowd near Jesus was a man with a withered hand. Now, books have been written about this. Again. 
Was the man planted there or not? Well, by all indications, I would say probably, because these Pharisees were plotting and planning how to get to Jesus. And so what did they do? Possibly they put this man with a withered hand there right in the front because usually these people would be pushed to the back. They put him right in front where Jesus couldn't help but notice him and then they watched to see what would happen. Remember their rules? And so whether he's planted or not, this was a divine appointment anyway because the Son of Man knew what he was going to do. And so there's this man with a withered hand And the Pharisees, our text says, were watching, literally watching Jesus. And the word used there in the original is to watch out of the corner of your eye. You you might have done that before. You're kind of keeping an eye, but you're deliberately watching. To see if Jesus would break their rules and heal on the Sabbath, you see. So we set up for a confrontation here. I always pity that poor man in the middle. Here's Jesus, the Son of God. Here's the whole system of the Pharisees and in the middle is this poor man with a withered hand. Like, what's going to happen now? You see, these Pharisees were dressed for worship but their hearts were very far from worship. They looked like they were worshipping. They went through all the motions of the worship in the synagogue but in their minds they were ready to accuse the Son of God. That's where they were. They were not worshipping God. They were going through the outward motions of worship. But unfortunately, they were at a distinct disadvantage with the Son of Man. Why? He could read their hearts. He could read their thoughts. And while they were sitting there plotting and trying to look good, Jesus read right into their hearts. And without them saying a word, Jesus instigates the next step. He says the following. He challenges them publicly. He says, you man with a withered hand, come here. Now set the scene. Man walking forward. The moment's about to happen. Pharisees, Jesus. Jesus asks an obvious question of the whole public gallery there. Everyone sitting there participating in this synagogue worship. He asks a very obvious question that everyone knew the answer to. Verse 9. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or destroy it? Everyone knew the answer. Of course it is. We gathered here to do good. To heal would be better, wouldn't it? That's what God's word is all about. And yet, here were these Pharisees. And Jesus now exposes them. And the people would have known And people know when they're in a system, they know what's happening. This man is at the front. He's not supposed to be at the front. So what are these Pharisees up to? And then Jesus asks this question. And here the Pharisees are exposed in public for what they were trying to do. They knew it. The people knew it. They were exposed as lawbreakers before God's law. And that's why I want you to read Mark chapter 3 for you as well. You see, we see an interesting reaction here. It's one of the few times in Scripture where we see Jesus angry. And it wasn't a sinful anger. It was a righteous anger because this was the Son of Man. Jesus was angry with these Pharisees. But not just that. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. And that is why he very very deliberately looks around at the whole crowd and at the Pharisees, 
Scripture states, he looked at them intently before he said what? He said, stretch out your hand. And as the man stretched out his hand, Mark says, his hand was fully restored like the other hand. That was a miracle happening in front. And instead of the Pharisees going, yes, praise the Lord, look what's just happened. What is the immediate reaction? It's in your texts. They go out and they start plotting how they can bring Jesus down. They didn't go and have a cup of tea and talk about it and praise the Lord and put and, and get the people together and give a praise session of worship to God. No, they immediately began plotting how they would bring Jesus down. You see, in healing that man, Jesus not just publicly exposed their error, but he also exposes the whole system of the ceremony, their works and their ritual. And that's why they have this reaction. Scripture says they had rage, rage. It's a double rage. It was rage so much that they couldn't control themselves and they plot to kill him. John chapter 5 verse 18 speaks about another incident, but it's the same principles that Jesus were breaking, was breaking here. Breaking their Sabbath rules and making himself equal with God. That is why they're filled with such rage. Well, you say, that's interesting. What a dramatic passage. But so what? How does that apply to me today? It's interesting I can read it, but how does that apply to me? Has much changed? I'd put to you that not much has changed. You see, you can go right into New York today, and that's just one city, and if you go into some of the Jewish Orthodox communities, you will find these laws still at work. They even have in New York what they call Sabbath lifts. And when you want to go into a building, you can walk into the lift. You don't have to press buttons. It stops at every floor because if you press the button, you'd be working. It's called the Sabbath lift. I didn't know that. That was an interesting fact. This one was interesting too. In those communities, sometimes on the Sabbath, you will find people there riding skateboards along. Now, they're not trying to be in with a hip crowd, by the way. What they're doing is trying to get around the work law. And so by skating, they're not walking and that's not work. They've even got automatic switches that have been put on the ovens now so that I don't have to switch on the oven. It will switch on by itself. So I'm not working and I can have hot food on the Sabbath. You see how ridiculous some of it is? But before we laugh too much, how does, that, how does this principle apply to you and I? Because there is a principle here for you and I. And it's not about Sunday or the Sabbath. There's another principle here. What are some of these religious rules that we've made up which are more important to us than loving God and loving other people? Those rules that you find yourself kind of putting in place for other people, what you are supposed to wear and not wear, and I'm not saying how you wear things, what you are to wear and not wear. We've got this image of what a Christian should look like. A Christian should look like this. I've got this mental picture. I was going to wear a tie today just to complete it. But maybe you've got your own interpretations of what Christian freedom is all about in the New Testament. And yes, even to do with the Sabbath or Sabbath rest. Or maybe you've got your pet rules that you've made out of 
up about how to worship God, the do's and don'ts, what you should include as instruments or not as instruments, what type of music to use, what type of music to leave out. You see, it's all these man-made-up rules. So before we point too far at at these Pharisees, we need to be looking into our own hearts. What are some of these extra scriptural rules that we have made up? And because we believe in them so passionately, they become scripture to us. What are some of those rules? What, sorry, what are some of those laws in God's Word? Some of the principles in God's Word that we find there, that, we, that, that are there and we can't get past them. God gives us very specific rules and laws about how He wants things to be done. But sometimes, you know, we take those things and we push them too far. And we lose the heart of what it is about. Do your beliefs line up with Scripture? Not just in their content. Have you checked that what you believe is in Scripture? Have you checked that what you believe is in the context of what Scripture gave it to you? And have you checked that your beliefs have the same intent as that pet verse that you keep holding on to? Are you sure? One writer said it like this. Please listen to this important quote. The religious mind is a curious thing. It is not interested in common morality, still less in relieving human misery and affliction. It is interested in keeping rules, particularly the rules which spring from its own cherished interpretations of Scripture, those pet verses and tradition. And to these interpretations it will attribute the inflexible authority of God. You believe in it so strongly that you come to believe that God has said it when he has Now, I need to ask you, as I ask myself today, does your Christian walk originate in rules, in rule-keeping, or in a true relationship with Jesus and a love for people, the same as Jesus had? Yes, within the parameters and the requirements of Scripture, we mustn't push those aside. You see, there are some people today that say it doesn't matter what people do, we must love them. Well, that's not what Scripture says. It says there are requirements, but yes, we must love them. And then we help them along the way. Where do we find a verse like this? I'm going to read you one. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Listen to this, please. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill, wait for it, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You see, God's requirements are 100% important to us, and we must live by them, but as as important is the intent and the heart behind these requirements. We are to love God in what we do and love the people that we are working with. Otherwise, we are falling for the same sin of the Pharisees. A heartless rule-keeping. Keeping to religious rituals. And these things don't impress God at all. God wants the correct heart attitude. And then we apply these directives He's given to us. Do you get the difference? The heart, then the directives. That's the important one. 
Oh, yes, and by the way, there is a bit about the Sabbath here, and I'll tell you about that now. See, it's not mainly about the Sabbath. Whenever I read that passage, I always used to think, hmm, interesting, well, I wonder what he's saying about the Sabbath. Because what about the New Testament? I want to ask you this question as the last application this morning. Do you still have Sabbath rest? Now, please hear me correctly. I'll repeat that again. Do you still have Sabbath rest? I didn't say the Sabbath. I'll repeat that. I didn't say the Sabbath. I said, do you still have Sabbath rest? In other words, one day set apart where you can get together with God's people specifically to worship together, to give God glory and to intentionally do good. We may no longer celebrate the ceremonial Sabbath day of the Old Testament on Saturday, and I'll speak about that next week, but do we use the New Testament Lord's Day on the first day of the week with the same unchanging intent as the original day of rest that God gave to mankind? Do we still have one day holy unto the Lord that we set apart specifically for the worship of the God? And yes, we must worship in the rest of the week, but specifically set apart to worship the Lord with His people and to do good, not just to His people, but those around us. You see, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Do you and I intentionally use this day for what it was meant for? What for? To meet with God's people. To make a time to rest and relax. And you know, our employers ask more and more and more and more from us. Do you put this day aside because God has given you a rest day and do you use it for that intention? Or has it just become another day on which you do everything that you haven't kind of caught up with in the rest of the week? And I know... I live in a block. I've got animals to tend. You see, we need to choose between obedience and disobedience. Put your relationship with God first and then obey Him in the practical application of that. Love Him, love people within the parameters of God's Word. I want to leave you with words from Jesus. Not mine, as the last ones. Listen to these words of comfort. Jesus says to you and I this morning, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And whether that's from rule keeping or from work, you, you look up in your situation what it is. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. And it's not just rest. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Those are Jesus' words to you and I today. And you might be going through a hard time from whatever might be happening in your situation. And you're coming up to the end of this year, and you wonder... What's next year going to be like? How am I going to make it through next year? Come to God. Find rest in Jesus Christ. And then live out that practical obedience with His love. And He will use you for whatever He has in store. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, Thank you for the wisdom of your word, Lord. 
And Lord, in your timing, you've brought this passage before us as a church. Lord, we pray that you would help us to apply as your Spirit has stirred in our hearts. That we will not leave matters undone because your Spirit will carry on working with those matters. And you will force us to, to choose between right and wrong. But Lord, give us soft hearts so we learn those lessons quickly. And Lord, keep us from rule keeping. Lord, may we obey you because you've given us your requirements in your word. But may we love you as we obey you. May we love others as we obey your word, Lord. Lord, may we be people who are known, firstly, for our love of you. And Lord, may the world know that you live because of the way we live before the world. And Lord, if there are some of us who in some way have fallen for keeping to specific rules so that we'll feel better, or living in specific ways so that we'll so that you will look at us and you will look at us and think that we are Christians, Lord, save us from that. Like the Pharisees, Lord, may we know that you look at our hearts first. And you can see whether we love you or not in what we do. May we worship you from our hearts and in our obedience. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.